Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As we're going to continue to roll through some mailbag questions today, we have got a bunch of them. Uh, fortunately enough, we have plenty of time. Uh, someone asked me the other day, Frank, whether I was going to cut back the podcast or whether we're going to keep going Monday through Friday. Uh, I think as far as it goes right now, we've been told that we're going to continue to roll Monday to Friday right through the draft. And clearly at that point, things will be heating up for the Bucks with the draft and then free agency and everything else going on there. So uh, we're going to keep going Monday to Friday. So we've got plenty of time. Uh, let's, let's just say that. Wait, when's the draft? November, 8th, November 18th? Did we establish that the other night? I was, when you said right through the draft, I was like, when the hell is the draft? Is it Thanksgiving? I don't, I don't even know. My, my clock is, is totally screwed up here this, uh, this offseason. So I don't know, Kane. I'm going to keep showing up for podcasts um, until you tell me I, I don't have to anymore. So that's, that's, that's how I'm going to take it. There's never, ever, ever going to happen, just to be clear. If anything, um, I'm going to continue to beg you to come on and you're going to continue to say, listen, Kane, I actually have a family and a real job <laughs> and I don't need <laughs> to talk to <laughs> Yeah, right. I don't, I don't need to talk about random buck shit right now, but uh, we have got some questions. So let's, let's dive straight in. I, I tried to pick a, a three kind of different ones here tonight that will probably lead us into some interesting discussions. So the first one, Gidris. Pedrizas. Now, uh, Frank, I, I just want to be clear uh, that I did ask Frank about the pr- pronunciation of this uh, name, of this listener's name, so I probably got it wrong, but I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. So the question is, how much of an improvement should we expect from Dante next year if he's staying in Milwaukee, stats-wise and skill set-wise? What's the single largest adjustment on defense and offense you would do if you are bud? Uh, so I guess that's two questions there. But we'll, we'll start with Dante. Uh, how much of an improvement should we expect from him? I think the biggest thing that I took away from the bubble is that um, momentum was really on his side in terms of the way he was playing. He was showing real development. I thought finishing, particularly in the in the paint and at the basket, I thought that was the biggest takeaway I took from him uh, before the season went down. And then he just seemed to lose all momentum. And really, the last three games of the series against Miami were a real positive for him because he, he was looking pretty bad. I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, I think the Bucks, um, you know, whatever renewed competitiveness they showed, you know, towards the end of that series, especially compensating for Giannis's absence, I think certainly owed uh, a fair bit to Dante actually, you know, looking like a guy that um, sort of knew what was what was going on again. And, and, you know, what do you have, one point in the first two games of that series, I think? Um, and just looking more confident. And, and again, I mean, you know, he's one of those guys that, very much lives up to the motto of the buds let it fly approach uh, for better or worse. And, um, you know, I think when we talk about what, what he can improve on, you know, this year, um, 
And I think you, you know, it's the, the two things that are probably most important for most guys in Bud's offense is what do you, you know, can you get to the rim? Can you finish at the rim? And then of course, three point shooting. And, um, you know, he's again, still a very mediocre three point shooter, 30, just under 34%, um, for the season. I'm actually kind of surprised, you know, he, per 36, he took 5.9 threes per game this year. It feels like it's more, you know, cause yeah. he does not take, uh, he takes a lot of like long, difficult pull up slash quick fire. Not, not actually not that many pull up, but he takes a lot of like really fast catch and shoot threes, which, um, you know, if it's Kyle Corver doing it, that's one thing, but Dante, I feel like, you know, it just, sometimes it feels like he's just trying to get out, get him up. Um, and obviously though, I, I think, you know, especially given the degree of difficulty on some of them, it, you know, definite improvement there. He was 20 under 27% as a rookie. So the improvement uh, from the three point line was, was definitely welcome. Um, it's kind of hard. He, he had such a low volume of shots at the rim and I think it was mostly like off cuts and things like that. So you know, his, his, actually his, his restricted area finishing as a rookie was ridiculous. It was 84%, (laughs) but it was extremely low volume. Um, you know, he bumped it by about 10% of his shots moved into the restricted area this year. And I think, you know, anecdotally, we would say many more of them were, um, self-created, let's say, than, uh, than, than previously. And last year, 68% of his baskets were assisted this year, 54%, right? So that, that kind of speaks to, him getting much more comfortable um, driving and, and trying to create stuff himself. But, you know, he's still a total adventure driving to the basket and trying to finish. And um, he's really one of those weird guys. I've said, I said this as a rookie, this is one of my early observations, but usually with guards, the guards who have like a lot of athleticism, usually that manifests itself. And, and he's obviously not like a wingspan guy, right? He's, he's a, he's a vertical, not wingspan guy usually where that manifests itself is offensively because, you know, your ability to drive and, and use that athleticism around the basket is, is more useful. But with Dante, it seems like it's more useful on defense, right? Normally I would say length is always more important on defense than just explosiveness per se. Um, you know, look at like West Matthews. <laughs> West Matthews is a good example of that, right? Strength and length uh, rather than, than athleticism per se. But uh, with Dante, I mean, some of the defensive plays he can make um, are pretty pretty incredible, right? I mean, the, obviously the steals, but some of the blocks, I mean, even the rebounds. Like, I mean, he's maybe the most entertaining guard rebound, <laughs> rebounder that, that I can recall uh, seeing, certainly for, from the Bucks. So um, I think as you, know, as you think about what takes him to on, you know, another level, I think um, certainly, you know, can he improve as a finisher? Of course, that's important. Can he improve as a shooter? Of course, that's important. He has certainly room to improve there. Um, I think, you know, when you think about that, this is going to come up in one of the other questions, I think playmaking, you know, can he be a little bit more, um, of a pick and roll creator? Um, you know, we saw him get a little more comfortable, like pulling up on short mid rangers out of pick and rolls, you know, can he be a guy who makes the right reads, you know, either whether it's throwing a lob or, you know, throwing the bullet past the corner off a pick and roll, things like that. Um, or getting the rim, obviously, um, that's obviously going to be a huge, huge thing for him because I think one of the big inflection points for him as far as his value is, is he going to be a guy that we, we've seen him nominally be the point guard, especially even in starting lineups when Bledsoe was hurt a fair bit. But, you know, they, they didn't have great offense in those lineups. Uh, can he ever be a semi-reliable, you know, if he squint hard enough, can he look kind of like a point guard type guy? If he can, I think that really changes, obviously, 
his profile and, and his upside as certainly as a member of the Bucks, given that they have Chris and Giannis as playmakers as well. So that's probably the biggest question for me. You know, the shooting is obviously probably the easiest thing to say. You know, can you improve that? Um, but I think the playmaking um, is is a thing that I don't know that I see that um, coming necessarily, but it could. And I think he certainly. I mean, you know, I think he he can. He'll definitely get better. But can he get to the point where you know you put the ball in his hands in the second unit or something like that? You know, I, I don't know. That's 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 the kind of thing that uh, could be a, a big differentiator between you know the Bucks being a great regular season team and actually being like a great postseason team if you can kind of make a leap there. In addition, to obviously, other dudes doing other stuff. So, I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely excited to see what he can do next year. But again, I'm probably in the you know he's probably doesn't profile as uh, an above average starter, I would say, I guess, I think partially just due to his size. And I think that's another reason he, he needs to get stronger, both for finishing as well as defensively. You know, he moves so well defensively. He's got really good instincts, but if he can get stronger, um, I think that's really going to help him on both ends. And so, um, so yeah, he's got a lot he can work on, but obviously a, a very, very encouraging sophomore season. All right, Frank, after we finish this podcast, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go for a run. It's Friday afternoon here. Before I get stuck into a few beers, I'm going to do some exercise. But before I do some exercise, I'm going to have a built bar. Great sponsors of the show. And by the way, I had a few people question uh, what the, the name of, of these bars were, or just to, for a reminder. So uh, it is Built Bar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R. And you can go to builtbar.com and place your order there. They have 18 amazing flavors, six brand new, which include cookies and cream, carrot cake, caramel brownie and also they have the 12 original flavors which include peanut butter banana bread mint brownie salted caramel and much much more they're great for the health conscious guy lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat because the bars are low calorie low sugar high protein and high fiber the deal i mentioned earlier go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get ten dollars off your next order use promo code locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com and remember, the free cooler with your purchase while supplies last, still available as far as I know at builtbar.com. One reason why you would want to be uh, really optimistic about Dante and, and hopeful that he can take uh, those steps is because of his age. We spoke about the age profile of the Bucks roster as it currently stands. They just don't have a lot of young talent or really any young talent. So the fact that he came in and was an impact player was great to see the shot profile, just to follow up on one thing before we move on from what you said uh, in regards to f- shooting at the rim, uh, shooting from three. So I have his shooting frequency page up on cleaning the glass right now. And the interesting thing for him is it was all rim or all at the three point line. So 45% of his shots came from three 41% of his shots came at the rim and only 14% in that mid-range. And the thing that stands out to me when I look at Dante, you spoke about his ability to uh, you know, run pick and rolls, whether that is uh, uh, facilitating or pulling up for that shot. And I think the big thing that I noticed with him, uh, watching him in those situations, he does actually seem to be able to get to his spots. Now, I'm not sure about his ability to see the floor and make the correct reads and passes in those situations, but he does seem to be able to get from point A to point B uh, to the rim pretty easily. I, I just wonder, uh, a lot of those finishes that he had or attempted finishes that he had at the rim, he did seem very out of control and didn't seem to have great body control once his feet left the floor. So I, I do wonder whether bringing in a floater, uh, more of a pull-up mid-range 
uh, a jump shot might help him because he does seem to be in a situation where that might be uh, something that he could add to his game to, uh, you know, maybe just alleviate some of that pressure of trying to drive through and score over two or three guys, which we've seen him do a little bit. So that would be something I'd be looking for. Does he, does he develop a bit of an in-between game? Um, because I, I do think that he's been able to get some of those spots. Uh, as far as the second part of that question in regards to the defensive side of the ball and the single largest adjustment you would want to see um, or you would want to see Bud make or if you're Bud that you would make, I, I think it's pretty easy. It's pretty simple for mine. Um, I was actually just talking about this on Twitter and we'll see if you agree. Um, there's a lot of talk about Giannis playing at the five and it seems like those lineups on both ends of the floor can, can put you in situations where you can try different things. The big thing for me was that uh, a lot of the times, even when Giannis was playing at the five with Marvin Williams, a lot of the times um, they still weren't switching anyway. So nothing changed yeah. the defensive uh, scheme that they were running. So uh, when I see those conversations, I say, well, okay, yeah, they could have played Giannis more at the five, no doubt, but they weren't switching anyway. So I, I think, you know, when we talk about a plan B defensively, that's a very simple one. And we're not talking about Nick Nurse, Eric Spolster running box down one zones left, right, and center. We're not talking about that. It's very simple. If you're going to play Giannis at the five, why don't you utilize uh, the versatility you have? Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I mean, um, you know, we, we, we've seen that at various points of his career. Um, you know, hints of, of them using kind of that switching approach. You know, typically Bud is only used switching kind of in desperation type situations. Like if they're, you know, down a lot at halftime and they're getting killed and, you know, some like pick and pop type situation, then they'll say, all right, screw it. You know, break in case of emergency here, grab this, push the switch button. Right. They did it against um, Charlotte repeatedly when Kimber Walker yes. fortune, which is so yeah. weird, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's so funny. That's, that's like, that's see, this is, this is how, you know, this is a Bucks podcast. Cause we can like, remember these random games uh, where, where, <laughs> you know, they use switching a lot. Cause obviously they didn't, they didn't use that much. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think again, you know, to bring like a baseball analogy into it, it's like the box defense needs a reliable second pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And the obvious thing, which you know, we've obviously focused a lot on what Bud didn't do well, um, but you know, midway through the Orlando series, he decided, all right, I'm 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 not going to play Robin Lopez anymore, and that was interesting because you know, Kim Birch was mostly the backup center for the Magic. It's not like you know, they were getting pick and pop to death by, you know, it's like the magic world just constantly going small. Um, you know, Vooch obviously was causing problems. So that was more of a, a challenge for Brooke because they were the ones overlapping minutes as starters. But um, I thought that was important. And we talked about, you know, during the season when they picked up Marvin Williams, okay, you know, does Marvin help unlock that small lineup a little more because he's still big enough, but you're not worried about him, you know, having to guard, um, you know, a LeBron or then having to go and like switch onto a smaller guy or something like that. Right. Um, so I think, I think when, when I think about, you know, and then that's why I'm, you know, I think we were both disappointed to hear of, of Marvin retiring. I maybe he'll reconsider, you know, Giannis, give him a call. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think if you're going to, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to again, give yourself that great second pitch and, um, you know, again, I think, do you want to start Giannis at center like all season? Like, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I think, I think, you know, we've seen it with, um, you know, Golden State, right? That they, they, it's not like they made the death lineup there every night starting lineup. Um, and I think from a wear and tear standpoint, I think playing center is, I think it is still more of a, 
drain than than probably um, you know Giannis might want to to do. So, but but you know, look, if you're going to keep playing a zone drop scheme, and then you're also going to have you know the all right, we're going to Giannis at center, and then actually do that regularly during the season. I mean, that is what I think most of us would say is is the obvious thing for the Bucks to do. And you know, we're, we just watched the Heat beat the Celtics for the second game in a row. You know, Miami ran tons of zone all year. Then they basically didn't run any zone at all for two rounds of the playoffs. And now they brought it back. And, you know, the Celtics, even with all their guys that can, you know, dribble, shoot, and pass, right? I mean, I, I'm shocked that the Celtics, given their personnel, have had as much problems as they have. But, you know, the Heat are just on a string right now. I mean, that defense, it's like that amoeba. Um, they just look great. Uh, and it's just been a lot of indecision from the Celtics. And, um, you know, again, you don't get to that by just saying, let's try to play a zone because you're, you're, uh, you know, your scheme that you've run 99% of the time doesn't work. You do that by being intentional about it and practicing it and actually making it part of what you do. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's to me is, you know, if, if we see the bucks, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be zone. Um, I mean, that'd be cool, right? If they, decided to throw some zone out there you know they've got um potentially some guys that that could be be good in that that type of scheme as well but um but yeah get that second pitch or maybe that third pitch um that you can roll out there and certainly with Giannis as you said you know having that switching look I think is really valuable because I think we've seen it like you know Giannis like you watch like Bam for instance like Bam knows how to play like a center um you know he can like switch and do stuff that you know again he 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 just looks like a really mobile center Whereas Giannis, I, I just don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I don't know that, which makes the, the, the kind of, and not that they always drop Giannis, but, but I, he just doesn't look comfortable doing that. Even with his size, it just doesn't look natural to him to play like a center defensively. I just instinctively, I think he just doesn't really seem to kind of feel, have the feel for that. So I think, you know, again, just a switching type approach. Um, I think again um, would just be something that probably would would make a lot of sense. And um, you know, again, I think it'll you know as you talk about uh, lineups and and free agents and things like that. Um, I think figuring out you know who is that who's that other kind of hybrid forward sort of big guy that that you could play with Giannis. I think is going to be a really interesting question this summer because um, I think Marvin Williams actually was a pretty good archetype for that. Again you'd love to have a better player than Marvin Williams. Um, but, you know, if you're in the Bucks situation where you're cap constrained and you're dealing with, you know, uh, a minimum contracts and things like that, then obviously that's going to limit you somewhat. And you're going to have to be a little creative and, and have to make some choices, right, about what kind of guys you can go after. So um, so we'll see. But, but again, I think, it, you know, if, if, if people are watching the playoffs, I think it is kind of fun to see the different types of lineups that these teams have been able to throw out and, you know, especially watching the the Raptors Celtics series now Celtics Heat, I think it's been very interesting just sort of seeing how these teams by playing guys. I mean, it's like Tice. Um, Tice is a center ish, right? Bam is a center ish, um, but the mobility that not just those guys have, but then the guys around them and the ability to you know defend up, defend down. I think that's just been really fun to watch, and um, you know, it obviously makes you ask the question: Okay, how do the Bucks? you know, put themselves in a position where they can do similar things. And, um, you know, I think even if you're, even if you don't make roster changes, at least defensively, you have a lot of guys that can probably do some of the similar things that you're seeing some of these really successful teams do, but it's going to take practice. And obviously that's, that's what 
you know, I think the biggest waste of the biggest thing that's been wasted these past two years, you, you know, you have, you're playing with house money most of the year where you're leading the league and, you know, in record, and then you're not really using, you know, you're playing Giannis 30 minutes a game and then you're not ever really bothering to try different things. So hopefully this, this next year will be different. Next question comes from Justin Sayan, I'm going to say. Again, that could be wrong. Wait, did we do, did we do offense? Did we do offensive adjustment? I, 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 I just talked about defense more or less. Do you that's have a, a good point. Offensive, offensive adjustment that, you, you, that comes to mind? That's a good point. I didn't even, I completely skipped over the fact that that was even a point of the question. Uh, offensively, let me think about this. I mean, I think the, the big thing that I think the Bucs will need to do, and, and this is going to tie into another question we, that we have uh, a little bit later on here, but I, I think that we saw the value as this series went on. And yes, Giannis wasn't always out on the floor, but I saw, I think we saw the value of having or running the offense through a player other than Giannis. Um, I, I think we saw that with Chris Middleton a little bit. Now, would you prefer to have a guy that uh, probably has better ball handling than, than Chris? Probably. Um, someone that can create a little bit more. So I, I think it's more personnel-wise than anything. But I think that the Bucks do need to find a way, particularly for the postseason. And again, um, we spoke about this, but it's really difficult for the Bucks to replicate what's going to happen in the postseason when you have a guy like Giannis because you sort of just keep falling back to the point that Giannis can probably just dri- dribble through and dunk on everyone through the regular season. And that's where it's a little bit difficult to replicate what you'll see in the postseason. But I, just offensively, I, I think the Bucks would be well-suited during the regular season next year, depending, again, on the roster and the guys that they have there. To, to run a lot more stuff with the Giannis off-ball. I, I just think whether it's using him as a screener more often, more pick-and-rolls and using him that way, and, and we always talk about getting him in different spots, more elbow touches, stuff like that, but I, I think that they need to be able to run offense without just giving the ball to him at the top and saying, well, there you go. Break through that wall you, was, you were speaking about. Yeah, it's kind of funny how this hashtag through the wall is now Giannis's, like thing, <laughs> right? Which is kind of like, okay, don't know if I'd want to keep playing that that <laughs> exactly. that, that that concept up, but um, but yeah, I, I think you know variety is is the key. I think when I think about the Miami series, um, I feel like in the half court, the looks that started to feel like he was able to at times get things going was when he was able to get those elbow touches, those foul line touches, exactly, because yeah. you know at that point he's basically like one dribble slash two strides, two steps away from being at the basket. And it just really makes it harder for defenses to to react to him. Um, and I think, uh, again, I, I think it also just sort of simplifies some of the decision-making that he has to do um, versus I think there's just more variables when he's attacking from the top of the key. So I, I agree. I think, you know, anything you do to kind of shorten that uh, distance that he has to go to, go to get to the rim is uh, is a positive. And, uh, and I think it's also, again, it's, it's harder to bring over like that help defender who's trying to just flop and take a charge um, if he's closer. You know, I mean, it's kind of it might seem almost like stupid or feel like I'm, you know, getting back to Jason Kidd logic of like, oh, yeah, shoot closer to the basket. That's better, right? <laughs> but, um, but I think for Giannis, you know, again, we think about where his best position is. I think that there's something to that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like his pick and roll numbers, like finishing are always awesome. And people are like, why don't you want more pick and roll? But it's like, I mean, we saw in this, the, the Heat series, like, I mean, for X number of times that you actually try to run a pick and roll, the, the number of times you can actually get the ball to a guy as a roll man and actually get a shot 
is much lower, you know? So we have to be careful that we're not like acting like, Oh, you just push the pick and roll button and you get, you know, 1.5 points per possession. It's obviously harder than that. Um, you know, I think Bledsoe for all his faults is actually pretty good at that. Chris is great at that. Right. Um, I think, you know, can you get Chris in Giannis? I, I don't know. I mean, it didn't seem like that was, it seemed like that was more of, again, to come going back to the baseball analogy, more of a change up than, like a primary thing that the Bucks did all the time. Um, and, and I would say, why not do a lot more of that? <laughs> you know, cause, cause again, Chris, Chris just by virtue of his mid range shooting, um, I think just changes the geometry of the floor a bit and the way that teams have to defend that. And, you know, the downside is again, you put the ball in Chris's hands, um, whoever he's passing to you're, you're, you can't pass to Chris Middleton for a, a spot up three. <laughs> which leaves fewer good shooters around him. But, um, but I think again, it's, you know, it's that variety question and um, you know, uh, whatever you can do with, with Giannis to move him around and just make him less predictable. I think that's, that's obviously an important thing. And again, I think also working from the elbow um, I think that like those little like step back, you know, like 10, 12 foot mid range shots that we saw um, we saw at various points, he seemed to start to get very comfortable with, and then it sort of vanished in the playoffs and in the bubble. Um, I think that's a really important shot because again, the, the three, I think we've talked about this, like, you know, the three point shot is really like how you would, you know, when you think about Giannis initiating a play, like the three point shot is really the, I mean, it's, it's the kind of decision you have to make first, right? You can't like probe. He's not going to like probe, see if he can get to the basket and then dribble out and shoot a three. Right. So the, the little, those little step backs, those little mid rangers, little baby hooks, those are the types of plays that are like the fallback plays for when he can't get to the basket. Um, so again, like I don't think Giannis should take mid rangers with the intention of like, Oh, give me the ball so I can take a mid ranger, but it's a keep the odd keep the defense honest. And, and again, you know, kind of be a counter type play um, for him versus, you know, taking a three point shot. Um, you know, he hasn't even given himself a chance to really attack when he does that. So, um, so that, that I think for Giannis obviously is really important and, um, and we'll see. And I think the other thing too, I mean, you know, Brooke Lopez, I mean, we talked a lot about I think lineups that would take Brooke off the floor, but again, I mean, if you're playing Brooke is really your only center, um, you know, you could play half the game with, you know, 25 minutes a game with Brooke as a traditional center playing, you know, all world defense, and then you can go more dynamic with Giannis at the five or, you know, whatever. Um, that still leaves a lot of time for Brooke and especially if Giannis is the center in a lot of those Brooke off minutes, um, you know, I, I think then you're probably going to stagger Brooke away from Giannis a little bit. And I think if you do that, then I would want Brooke in the post more, you know, I think the value of Brooke shooting threes is that he can space for Giannis. But if Giannis is on the bench, um, I would try to be much more proactive about, you know, using Brooke in the post. I would be more proactive about you putting Brooke in those pick and rolls. I think, you know, him and Chris had really good chemistry Chris just throwing the ball up right above the cup for him to, to alley-oop and, and get layups. Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. I mean, Brooke has been the one out of the kind of main, main bucks guys. Brooke has been the only guy. I mean, we talk about like, Oh, you know, the center is dead and all that. I mean, let's give Brooke credit. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's been the guy to kind of probably step up more than, you know, anybody else when the bucks have, have, gotten knocked out of the playoffs he's actually had a really good series for me against toronto and miami and so it's kind of a shame because i feel like the bucks really wasted good efforts from brooke lopez and so um you know again i think to the extent you can lean into that 
um, is, uh, is, is something that's, you know, sure you do it. Right. I think it's kind of a no brainer, but, um, and then I think I would say just narrow too, like just, you know, we've talked about valuing possessions and how the bucks just, I think mentality wise, don't always have a good mentality about, you know, especially when they're losing games in the fourth quarter. Um, I think just getting smarter about creating quality shots. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't be aggressive looking for threes, you know, overall, but, uh, again, just a little bit more um, discretion <laughs> would probably be a very good thing. By the way, uh, one number I, I did look up there, Giannis was over 50% on those uh, turnaround mid-range jumpers for the season. It was a pretty small sample size, but there was certainly a stretch during the season where he was going to that um, with regularity. So, yeah, I would agree. That would be uh, another look for him to get. And uh, as you pointed to, those free throw line touches in particular, there was a stretch uh, in game... I'm going to say it was game three in the series where he really started to get rolling in the third quarter and he had a stretch and we know what happened in the fourth quarter. But again, it is just difficult to stop him, as you said, when there's one dribble and he, he can get to the rack, basically. And uh, I think the concern with Giannis is sometimes, you know, sometimes you might forget how tall he is. And I think a problem that he has is when he has to dribble through traffic, not only the guy standing in front of him, but he has to worry about the help coming in. He gets stripped. He gets stripped a lot and loses the ball a lot. So uh, avoiding that against, particularly against teams like uh, Miami that have those uh, big uh, defenders, those big bodies they can throw at him would help. On to Justin's question. He said, are there any players in the Bucks with positive trade value besides Giannis? So he mentions Dante. He mentions Chris. Uh, you know, Brook Lopez is an interesting case because... Yeah. He's he's paid you know ten million plus. It's one of those mid-level contracts. I just wonder how the rest of the league would view Brook Lopez because uh, we know that uh, obviously he's been one of the the first centers to really stretch out to the three-point line, completely change his game. This year we got a reminder of some of the other skills he's got and that uh, that elite sort of post-game. Remember, he was a twenty-plus point per game scorer only a few years ago. I, I think defensively though again I, I do just wonder how the rest of the league would view him because he's playing in a system that is very much tailor-made for him and I know we we spoke previously about the fact that um, we would like to see the Bucks go away from that scheme when he's not on the floor but it is set up for him and and I think that playing on another team perhaps defensively obviously he wouldn't have the same impact so uh, you know, I think if people look and they say, well, Brook Lopez, he's an all-NBA defender. I'm just not sure how much weight that would hold in trade conversations based on what teams are trying to do and what, they, what they're trying to run defensively. He's, he's a really curious case. I mean, he's 32 years old. You know, yeah. um, his contract is, is not crazy or anything like that. So I think that, that certainly um, you know, it helps. Uh, you know, he's going to be owed about $13 million a year for the next three years. Uh, so again, towards the tail end of that, obviously the concern is, you know, how is he going to hold up age wise? Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's, this is kind of one of those things. I think, um, you know, I, I, I still feel like your best chance of winning next year probably involves Brooke Lopez. Um, I, and again, it's sort of, I mean, what can you use him to get? I don't know. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, I also just don't want to act like, oh, the league is going away from, you know incredible rim protecting centers who shoot threes and can post it up though. Right. I mean, I think that's going to be a valuable skill set regardless. You know, we've already seen, you know, I mean, look look at the playoff bracket right now. Right. Um, You know, the heat, obviously the heat and, and, and Celtics obviously play a certain way. Um, Ironically, they, they play with, you know, two, two centers who are kind of more mobile defensively, but don't shoot threes, 
which is kind of kind of funny, right? The fact that you would play smaller guys, but that they're really not shooters, right? I mean, Tyson Bam obviously are not like floor stretchers uh, in the way that we probably like you know would have guessed a couple of years ago the way the league was going. Um, and then on the other side of the bracket, you know, the Lakers have you know we'll, we'll see what they do against the Nuggets, but it sounds like they're going to go back to playing up their their big lineups. You know, the Lakers have played big pretty much all year in spite of having Anthony Davis, who is even more of a center than Giannis, right? Um, I'd have to check. I'm curious if Giannis or Anthony Davis played more center this year. Uh, I think AD is much more of a natural center uh, in when you think like positionally, but, um, but, you know, and, and obviously Jokic, I mean, obviously his offensive game, he's so much more than, you know, what you would say a center, you know, kind of checks on the boxes, but defensively, I mean, I mean, the, the, the fact that they've been able to hide him defensively is pretty remarkable because, you know, I think he's, I don't think he's as bad defensively as maybe people have made him out to be, but look, the guy, I mean, you know, <laughs> you put Jokic on an Island against anybody who's, you know, quick, it's a problem, right? He's not a rim protector. Uh, he's a good rebounder and he's a smart guy, but um, you know, Jokic's ascendancy is certainly a counter to anyone who thinks like traditional centers, you know, can't hack it defensively or you can't build a defense, you know, around a traditional center. Cause he's certainly no, no Brook Lopez defensively. Right. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think again, I, I'm always, always a little hesitant to kind of, you know, over pivot over index on kind of what's happened in a short period or, you know, one series or whatever it might be. Right. I mean, a few years ago we thought, you know, everyone would have to switch all the time, you know, because of the, the warriors just sort of breaking the system. And it hasn't really happened, you know? I mean, I think it's, imp- it's important to be able to do that at times and have that kind of in your back pocket. But, um, you know, it's not like that's the only, the only way to play defense in, in the year 2020. So, um, so yeah, I, I think uh, Brooke is, is an interesting guy. I guess this was about, we're, we're trying to answer a question about trade value. But I think the bottom line is, you know, the reason I'm not talking about other guys is because there's not a lot to say, right? Um, you know, I think there's, probably a lot of guys, you know, probably a number of guys who would have like kind of neutral value, you know, I mean, uh, George Hill, basically, basically he's an expiring contract next year under $10 million. You know, I'm sure there are teams that would say George Hill. Yeah. Come on down. Right. Um, but are you going to get a first round pick or some good asset for George Hill? No, I don't think so. Right. Um, you know, DJ Wilson, obviously negative trade value, Dante, I would say certainly positive trade value. Um, you know, Brooks, certainly I'd say positive trade value. Uh, Robin, again, I think we expect him to opt in at that $5 million player option. I would say he's not a positive trade value guy, right? Like maybe that maybe somebody would, would, would say that that's a fine, fine number on expiring. But uh, again, that's, that's not, you know, a great value. Wes, we'll see what he does. If he opts in at 2.7, I'd say that's a pot, certainly a positive value. I think they've got bucks have gotten great value for that. But again, that's not like, you know, you're going to go, fetch a superstar by by including Wes Matthews on an expiring you know 2.7 million dollar contract so so yeah it's it leaves the Bucks in a very difficult spot because I think you know the only real carrots that they can offer to most teams that would be generically pretty appealing to most teams would be Dante this year's first round pick which is you know number 25 in a week draft not exactly you know uh something that people are going to burn up the phone lines calling about and then, um, you know, the, the first pick, the first outright pick they can trade because 2022 is, uh, it's protected, so it could roll over. But that's the pick they owe to Cleveland as part of the Hill-Dolavadova deal, which, by the way, is still a 
pretty great trade. Like that pick is heavily protected. Um, I think it's top eight protected and then uh, eventually goes to converts two second rounders, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, so yeah, the, uh, you know, your, your 2024 pick, which you can, you know, again, as I think I've mentioned, if Giannis doesn't sign an extension, that pick suddenly becomes a lot more valuable. Um, but you're kind of playing with fire, obviously, if you lightly protect that or, you know, actually you didn't protect, protect it at all. So, um, so yeah, the, there's not a lot of, not a lot to work with, unfortunately, when you think about trade, trade, uh, fodder and, um, and we'll see, cause I think, you know, Eric Bledsoe at this point, I mean, anybody who's watched the playoffs the last few years, you know, like what, what is Bledsoe really going to fetch you? I don't know. Right. Um, I think the market for him is going to be pretty narrow and, um, I, I don't know. I mean, you hope, if you know if, if if he's got some some high profile friends who would like to play with him and you know the Lakers or or Brooklyn or something like that, then maybe there's more of a market for him or something. But um, I, I don't know. I, I could certainly see you know with a Bledsoe trade that 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 might be the inflection point at which maybe he's just a six man at that point, right? A six man who plays a lot, but maybe he's not a starter anymore. Which obviously, if you watch the playoffs the last two years. Um, you know, that, that might be his, uh, his destiny. Ironically that, I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't podcasting with you at the time, Kane, but I remember thinking honestly, even when they traded for him, that he probably would make more sense coming off the bench behind Brogdon just because of the shooting and the sort of complimentary nature that, you know, Brogdon's shooting gave versus Bledsoe's. Um, and obviously that didn't happen and it, you know, worked out relatively okay, but now you're kind of stuck that he has to start, it seems almost. And I, you know, it, it's fine in the regular season, but you know, we just seen it now three years in a row. It, it falls apart in, in the postseason. I do think the bucks, they, they definitely showed a reluctance to start George Hill. I mean, they had to in the postseason there, but they, they, they didn't want to start uh, George Hill. And I, I think an idea of that was a keeping uh, Hill fresh. And this is the problem. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the Bucks aging roster, there's no doubt that during the regular season, they've tried to get these guys through. Now, I, I understand it probably doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest, but they're also beating down um, teams uh, by big margins. But that, that's that been the problem with um, Bledsoe coming off the bench because, yeah, I mean, I, I could see him taking advantage. I mean, we've seen it in the past, certainly of second units um, going out there and becoming more of a scorer because I think we've wanted him to to play that role a little bit more often during the regular season. We know how it's panned out. Uh, in the postseason, unfortunately, for Bledsoe. But again, uh, as you spoke about with those situations with Brogdon, I think, you know, Bledsoe's deal, and I I tweeted this out last night, like his actual contract as far as point guards go and what you get from Bledsoe is is reasonable. I mean, it's not like it's a it's not like it's a terrible deal. It's just that in this situation in Milwaukee, playing him in the playoffs next to Giannis, I mean, we, we've seen. I mean, we've got a three year sample size. It's just not good. It doesn't work. He's he's an average shooter at the best of times, and during the postseason, he's been a disastrous shooter. So it's just not going to work next to Giannis. So that's why I think perhaps the urgency from Bucks fans to get rid of him. Um, you know, probably outweighs the the good that he still brings to the team. And I know that you pointed out, certainly his effort in game five. I mean, he was everywhere. He, defensively, he was fantastic. So he brings a lot of good things. Unfortunately, that uh, that lack of shooting is disastrous for this, uh, for this Bucks team, though. And that's why, uh, again, he'd be a very neutral value. And and the big thing for this Bucks team, as far as uh, trade value with a lot of guys, they, they, they you can move people. But if you're talking about guys that the Bucks can move without having to attach the very little assets that they have, yeah, they, they just don't have a lot of guys. And that's going to be the difficult thing this season if they want to make uh, big moves. 
Speaking of big moves, though, last question here for this episode, Zach Vinson. And this is where I think the interest of, of most Bucks fans is at. It's certainly what I get asked the most. He says, the point guard situation aside, the Bucks have a glaring need for elite shooting and a bucket getter off the bench. Any realistic options come to mind for either of those needs? Now, I, I didn't look into trades. And I mean, I know we're going to speak a lot about trades, but for the reasons I just spoke about, um, you know, financially, it's going to be a little bit difficult. So I, I, I went through and had a look at the list of free agents uh, coming up. And I've got a couple of names here and some of them are a little bit more random. I mean, let's be honest, the Bucks aren't attracting any huge name free agents here. So I, I didn't even bother looking at any of those names. But does anyone come to mind for you, Frank? Um, I think as far as like shooting goes, um, it is very hard to find. I mean, we saw it this year, right? I mean, you get Kyle Korver, who's one of the most elite shooters of all time, guy that can still, you know, be a dynamic shooter that really bends the defense. Um, but, you know, to find a shooter who can also like, you know, be really playable defensively, that's, ext- that's extremely difficult to find. Um, you know, I think Joe Harris is a free agent this year. Um, again, I mean, he's not like a great defender, but certainly I'd say passable and just a lights out shooter. Of course, I mean, it would be great to have a Joe Harris, but you know, how much money do you have to pay Joe Harris? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say not enough. Uh, you know, maybe is there a world where he gets only the, the non-tax mid-level? I'd say that's certainly possible, right? I mean, especially given the, the financial situation that's out there, that, that's certainly a possible situation. But, um, you know, again, for that to be in Milwaukee, I, I just don't know that I, I would not say that, that I would not have much confidence that that's the outcome. So he's probably the obvious, the like elite shooter guy. But, you know, other than that, I feel like, you know, I just sort of like was going up and down, like, you know, lists of, of random guys, guys that would be more in that, like, you know, uh, two to four million dollar, you know, sort of range, like you know, minimums to like biannual type guys, um, and and again, it's it's just a lot of flawed players, right? I mean, there it's not really like a home run type thing. There are a lot of guys who are like okay shooters, and you know, like either they can dribble a little bit or they can defend a little bit. But to find guys who can do all those things, I mean, again, that's why you don't get um, really good value. Uh, or that's why you don't get like, you know, really good players, obviously uh, in, in that, that range. Um, you know, but I mean, there's some guys who are free agents, you know, each one more is a guy that, um, you know, has, has actually had some very good shooting seasons. I mean, he was a guy that I remember thinking I, I, I preferred to Delhi back when they were both free agents in 2016. And, <laughs> Um, you know, probably would have worked out a little better with, with Eton more than, than Delhi. But, you know, again, Eton Moore is not like some like game changer uh, who's going to, you know, shift. He's not the difference between the Bucks That's winning and losing um, in, in Miami. Unbelievable. We've got to the point yeah. of the offseason where we're discussing whether the Bucks would have been better off with Eton Moore rather than Delhi. Well, unbelievable. <laughs> well, uh, but I don't know, just some random guys. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Marco Bellinelli, like, I hmm. I feel like he put him in a butt offense, the let it fly thing. I mean, he played for Pop. He's played for Pop a couple times. Um, so he, he can't be, you know, all bad. But um, we his shot selection is is questionable uh, at, at the best of times. Um, but, you know, he's still been a guy who shoots a high percentage from three generally or at least on a high volume. You know, he's, I think, a guy that, that – certainly stretches the defense, right? You, you don't like, you know, leave Marco Bellinelli open. 
Um, so like, you know, again, a random guy like that, you know, is, is a guy like that, somebody who would be of interest, you know, potentially. Um, and then I think as far as like, you know, other kind of depth type guys, you know, I still find Tyler Johnson kind of interesting just cause he's a bigger guy that can kind of be a combo. Um, not a great, again, not a great shooter, but can his sort of hit it, hit shots. Uh, also 63% true shooting in 14 playoff games. So, you know, at least in the past where he's played in the playoffs, he hasn't turned into a total pumpkin, which unfortunately is, uh, you know, again, the, the main bar, but again, that's not a guy that I'm like saying, Oh, go, go sign Tyler Johnson to be your starting point guard. Right. It's more about getting depth. And I think just kind of multi-positional players are interesting, right? Like, like who, who can go take Pat Connaughton's minutes. Right. I think that's a question that I'm, when I'm looking over a lot of these like rando free agents, right. That you, you might have 2 million bucks to spend on. That's a lot of what I'm trying to think of is, you know, who, who are those guys that, you know, were previously like the Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown type guys, you know, are there guys that can actually go out and, and, you know, shoot well enough, be consistently defensively enough that, you know, you're not kind of doing that rotating cast of like, you know, dudes that night in and night out, you don't know if they're actually going to be able to hit a shot or not. Um, Bucket getters, man, it's it's tough. I mean, I feel like bucket getters is like kind of a four-letter word to me to some extent because uh, typically those are guys that like, you know, I feel like, you know, chuckers are the, uh, the glass half-empty version of bucket getters. And, you know, you start to look at guys like Jordan Clarkson, who actually had a nice renaissance in, in Utah. Like I, I would have said, you know, I, I did not think that was going to work out. Um, he's been kind of generally like one of those like inefficient gunner types, you know, Cleveland, I felt like I remember him in Cleveland. Like I felt like, Oh geez, like I don't not want that guy on my team. Um, but you know, again, I, I don't know, like could a guy like that be of use to the bucks, you know, sadly, probably to some extent, right. Cause he, he definitely does create shots and, and kind of pressure the defense. Um, again, I would not want to ever start a guy like that. Uh, but like bench bucket getters, yeah, I could see a Jordan Clarkson guy being being useful. You know, Alec Burks is kind of funny. I, you know, we can go back to the the Steve Von Horn original Brew podcast days. I liked Alec Burks over Clay Thompson in whatever that was, the 2011 draft, I think. Um, so you didn't need to clearly, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm transparent, right? Most people only <laughs> like to talk. Most people only talk about like all the the you know guys that they yeah. liked who turned out who turned out well, right? And nobody likes to admit the you know, crap players that they liked. Um, but I mean, Alec Burks isn't crap. I mean, it's actually kind of funny because his question coming in was like, could, would, was he going to shoot well enough from three? And he's actually been like a respectable three-point shooter. And, you know, he's a pretty good shot creator. Again, like defensively, you're obviously not going to love him. But, um, you know, again, I, I just think it's uh, an interesting question. Like, can you find somebody who is more than just, you know, kind of, you know, just passing around the perimeter, right? A guy that can actually... Um, you know, have a little bit of wiggle and, and get to the rim and finish and, and do some of the things that, you know, to be honest, you know, when you look at last year's team, you know, you had Giannis doing that, you had Bledsoe when he was, you know, good Bledsoe. Um, and even in game four, I think he had a number of, he got to the rim actually a fair bit against the heat didn't happen in, in game five, but, um, but, you know, other than that, you know, the, the bucks are, are pretty lacking in guys who can actually just, you know, take the ball, beat, beat their guy off the dribble and, and get to the rim, right? I mean, Dante, I think, is important in that he, if he can ever get to that point, it would be really valuable. Um, so, so, yeah, is there some guy out there like that? Um, you know, again, those guys, if they're cheap, 
there's going to be major downside, right? And so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, a Jordan Clarkson or Alec Burks is not going to make you want to tear your hair out uh, a fair bit of the time. But uh, again, I mean, who knows, right? Like, I mean, we've seen it. Sometimes those, those dudes just randomly will swing a playoff series if they get hot because of their ability to, to kind of give you some, you know, scoring in bunches at times. So um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, by the way, random, random, uh, some, some random names um, that might be worth keeping an eye on just because of previous um, connections or, or interest from the Bucks. Um, you know, we mentioned Patty Mills the other night. I think he's a guy that, that you know, as a trade target could be interesting. Um, but Kent Bazemore, uh, you know, the Bucks supposedly tried to throw him like 70 million bucks a few, what was it, four years ago or something like that uh, as a free agent um, and probably worked out well. That, well, I mean, not that they spent the money particularly well anyway, but, uh, but he's a guy that uh, he's 31 now. I would say a pretty mesh shooter, um, but it has some defensive versatility and uh, perhaps most importantly, um, Bud knows him. Uh, and you know, he's a guy that, that uh, as, as much as that probably shouldn't matter as much on a team like the box where the coach has, I think a lot of say in personnel, um, that, that could matter. And so I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I'd be like super excited to have Kent Bazemore at this point, but, um, wouldn't shock me. Yeah. You could do worse, right? Like, are you worse off with Bazemore or Pat Connaughton? You know, um, I don't know. Some people would probably say, you know, shoot me. Uh, I don't want to even have to pick between those dudes. But, uh, but I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, who the Bucks target uh, this offseason because uh, there, there's certainly some role players that are going to, well, no pun intended, roll over, right? Uh, I'm, I'm very curious if Connaughton's back. I'm, I don't think he's going to get the payday that maybe he thought he was at one point. And you know Sterling Brown, I think we obviously have been assuming he probably would not be back regardless. So um, some some opportunities for other guys to to maybe get into new roles, and obviously Cal Corver as well, right? Will Cal Corver come back? Will he retire? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I I thought they they probably I, I think they I thought Cal Corver was more or less as advertised. You know, I think in the regular season in particular, I don't think his defense was you know a huge issue or something like that. Um, you know, they were able to kind of roll him in from, you know, uh, semi-regularly. And obviously uh, he was fun to see on the floor with Giannis just because of the way that, that teams have to pay attention to him. But um, certainly a, a number of decisions the Bucks are going to have to make around some of these peripheral guys, in addition to the, the big question around particularly Bledsoe. The big question I would make if I was uh, trying to – piece this roster together and i think the big problem with the all bench lineups that we got so frustrated about all season frank was the fact that they couldn't really generate anything so uh, look those periphery pieces no doubt uh, do uh play an important role during the regular season but also in the postseason we talk about the rotation all the time but you still do need to play seven or eight players so i would have preferred to have someone that could do a little bit more than a pat connor and if he was going to be playing um, big minutes, certainly in the postseason. Uh, you rattled off a, a bunch of names there. I, the only other guys uh, I sort of thought, and again, they're nothing sexy here. This isn't going to get anyone excited if you're a Bucks fan, I'm sure. But, you know, Justin Holiday, 40% from three. Um, you know, played 73 games for the Pacers last year, 25 minutes per game. He, he can do some stuff and he can shoot a little bit. Um, I, I didn't know he shot that well. That's interesting. The better, the better shooting Holiday, brother. 
Right, exactly. And I mean, he can put the ball on the floor a little bit, you know, like he, he can create certainly more um, than, than some of the other guys the Bucks have had out there. Even if you did have him on a lineup with, with George Hill, at least you've got a couple of guys that can dribble a little bit, shoot well, um, give some different looks there. And another guy that's, that's kind of interesting, uh, Little Dog, Glenn Robinson, 39% from three. I think he was forty over 40% from three with the Warriors. Uh, he's only 26 years old. Um, he might be, you know, another interesting name. I, th- I think a guy like Corkmaz from Philadelphia is probably going to get paid too much. I thought he had a pretty good season. Mm. He certainly had yeah. some good games, but um, he's a free agent as well, and he would be a guy that I would love. But again, I, I think the Bucks might find themselves priced out, which is the problem with a lot of these guys. Because even you know someone like uh, Bertans, who I know Bucks fans are really excited about, I just don't really see an avenue to make that happen. He's going to get, yeah. He's going to he's going to get paid too much, and you know, uh, yeah. He, he's in that. He's one of the few guys in that Joe Harris class of shooters where he's just lights out. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I, I was looking at some of his numbers. He was forty three percent on catch and shoot uh, threes this year, forty percent on pull ups as well. So the rare guy that um, does both. He can he can shoot uh, a catch and shoot scenarios, also pull up. He was eighteen for twenty four from beyond thirty feet, which is just absolutely nuts. Seventy five percent. Um, so Bertans and Harris are right up there with the guys. Um, you know, you talk about putting them in lineups with um, someone like Chris Milton uh, and Giannis, you know, and then you have two two options when you were talking earlier about Chris Milton and pick and rolls and not having a guy um, to, to pass it out to. Um, certainly Harris and Bertans, their catch and shoot ability are two guys that you would absolutely love. I'm just not sure whether they're going to be able to afford those guys. But they're... There's a bunch of uh, non-exciting names, but potential role players, I guess, that could come in. But again, um, as you sort of pointed to, I think it depends what a bunch of these guys do uh, towards the back end of the roster. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, it, it, you're going to, you know, if you're looking for targets for the Bucks this summer, you know, and you, you find like those rankings um, of, you know, here's your top whatever, you're going to probably have to do a lot of scrolling to find, you know, reasonable bucks targets. Cause they, again, just at the price points that the bucks are going to have to be shopping at, you know, do they have an MLE guy? Yes, they can, they can, you know, we'll see if it's the tax or, or the non-tax mid-level that they can use. Um, but uh, other than that slug of cash, which again is not going to get you a, an elite player, obviously. Um, other than that, you've got uh, a lot of, a lot of cheap guys that you're going to need to try to really strike gold with. And, you know, Bucks have had some luck, certainly. With uh, I mean, I mean, I think I think that's actually one thing that has been interesting is you know I mean, the Bucks have actually been able to attract and win uh, the race for pretty good players on cheap contracts, right? I mean, Corver was a guy that you know the Sixers pursued. Um, I don't know if the was it. I mean, it was the Clippers. I don't know, but you know, he could have gone to another really good team, and he chose to come to Milwaukee. Um, obviously Marvin Williams had options to go to, to other teams, I think, including Boston and he chose Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, among these sort of like buyout type guys in season, among these sort of veteran minimum type guys, um, you know, ring chaser type guys, uh, bucks have actually shown that, you know, they can make a pretty good pitch. So, um, you know, they, obviously that, that hopefully can, can help them, uh, get some players that, you know, again, if you can. Yeah, I think that's going to be really important. We saw it with Wes Matthews last year. If you can, you can get you know guys at two, three million dollars, veterans, proven veterans who maybe have flaws but can can be contributors uh, night in and night out. I mean, that's that's essential on a team like the Bucks, who obviously don't have a ton of cap flexibility. Yeah, I mean, you look at the last two seasons, Frank. They got Brook Lopez on what was it, three million dollars? He started yeah. every single game, and then the year after, they pick up Wesley Matthews. It's been remarkable. The guys they've been able to get, and to be honest. 
that's bailed them out with the situation they've, they've put themselves in and some poor decisions they've had in the past. Uh, to wrap this up, the people want to know, Malcontent, who, by the way, I, I think asks a lot of Rocky Rococo questions. I'm not sure if he has some sort of tie um, to the pizza place, but if he does, um, then I, I don't understand why the, the podcast isn't sponsored by them yet. But he asks you what's, what the perfect meal is from Rocky's. <laughs> uh, well, first off, I've got to give a shout out to um, uh, my uh, Twitter, Twitter, longtime Twitter, Bucks Twitter bud, uh, Colin Duvall. Um, Colin uh, tweeted at me when I somebody somebody posted something. It was like name name a place you used to live and like the uh, a food from there that you miss. And I of course posted Milwaukee <laughs> Rocky Rococo's pizza. Um, of course, you know tag Rocky Rococo. Of course, you know no acknowledgement from the Rocky Rococo social media account, which you know is just another just you know Let stab down. to the heart. Yeah. Um, but uh, I Colin pointed out that you can order their sauce. Um, online and they'll, you know, you can, or buy in the store, you can, you can get the, the sauce that, that they get with the, you get it with the breadsticks or I assume it's the same sauce that they put on the pizza itself. So, uh, so I ordered it. I ordered a six pack. I think, wow. I think I'm getting six of these freaking things. So God knows how long it's going to take me to kind of work, burn my way through six jars of uh, Rocky Rococo's um, tomato sauce. But you're just going to eat it with um, a spoon. Like what, what's, what do you, well, no, here's the thing. Actually, my wife, um, she she's been doing the sourdough starter thing, which a lot of has become like a random Quarantine. thing that people Quarantine do. Activity. Quarantine thing, exactly. And uh, she can make really good pizza out of it. And we actually mm. had. I'm, I am not somebody who like eats frozen pizza because I feel like I, if I'm gonna eat pizza, I want to eat like good, you know, yeah. take out from good pizza places. Um, I would try to get my value out of my, you know, the the, the calorie slug of of, of badness that that pizza is. Um, but no, it's, it's actually really good. Uh, we had some really good pizza, pizza she made last Friday. And so, uh, then the next day as fate would have it, uh, Colin reminded me about, I can buy Rocky Rococo's with pizza sauce. So now I'm like, let's bring it on, you know, let's make some, some pizza, throw some Rocky's sauce on there. And, and hopefully it, uh, I mean, again, I'm not making the, the, the thick crust like Rocky's, but, uh, hopefully it, it gives me at least a little hint of, of that Rocky's goodness. So to answer the question, um, so my, my view is, I think I've told you this, Kane, uh, my view is the, the best tasting Rocky's pizza is when you get like a whole, a whole pizza, not like a slice, um, but get like a small or something. Because it's fresh, and right? It, That's the idea? Get it fresh. Yeah, get it fresh. Um, it's, it's less greasy. Like I think a lot of times okay. uh, the slices end up getting really greasy and like, I, I don't know, they're, not, they're just not as good. But, uh, and they also warm up well, like the next day, if you got some leftovers, you put that in the toaster oven, get them kind of crisp. Uh, it's, that's, you're cooking with gas or, you know, cooking with toaster oven, I guess. But yeah, you're, uh, you got something going right there with that. Uh, but as far as like, yeah, so that was my, and that was what I would eat growing up as on Friday nights, my mom would take me like middle school. I, I remember there was a, a baseball card store in Bayshore Mall. And this must have been, this was uh, 93, 94, 95, that range. Because um, I remember I would go and, and look for Glenn Robinson rookies, Glenn Robinson basketball cards. Um, and so I, basically we'd go, we'd order a pizza, and then my mom would go to wherever she would want to go, and then I'd go to the baseball card store, and then we'd meet back at Rocky's, pick up the pizza, and drive home. And I would eat some pizza at home, uh, but a proper, like, real, like, large, you know, well, not large, but, you know, proper take home pizza so that that's 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 the form factor that i would say uh people should go for if you can if you got all the time um 
I'm a pepperoni or, and cheese guy, uh, but you know, to each their own. Um, I think they have the Garden of Eden. Uh, I think is one. Of, <laughs> I think is one of the names of the pizza. There's uh, uh, I think the Friday Super Slice is uh, Superoni, if I remember correctly. Um, and then there's like a big sausage, sausage, uh, sausage and pepperoni slice that I think they usually have. So I usually my my uh, my my poison that I go for when I go now, when I'm like home for Christmas is uh, I'll just go hog wild on like three slices. You know, I just go in, get like three slices, maybe like one cheese, two pepperoni. And uh, I just sit there by myself and just crush Rockies. <laughs> and uh, you know, without any shame, you know, I, I make up some excuse. Oh, I got to go buy some presents or whatever. You know, don't take anyone from my family with me. And I just drive and go sit there in Rockies by myself, listen to a podcast and just crush sweet sweet rocky's pizza um i actually also like the breadsticks although i i once looked it up the breadsticks are actually worse for you than the pizza wow i think they have more like fat and calories than than even the pizza somehow which is kind of remarkable but um i i I mean the breadsticks are delicious but uh, i just say you know what um i'm gonna just double down on pizza so my that's my that's my angle so anyway i'm glad we did this question at the end of this podcast because you know hopefully uh People have been many people who wouldn't care have been spared of this random Rockies um, detour. But uh, one thing I'll say, um, I uh, we were as part of this conversation, we were talking. Uh, people, Kurt Leidinger and others, were talking about. Uh, uh, there was like an Arizona, a few people from Arizona talking about getting pizza, or sorry, getting uh, you know, trying to get Rockies, a Rockies franchise out there. And uh, uh, then we were talking about um, all their other Wisconsin, you know sort of uh, fast food type type things. And, uh, you know, they have Culver's here in Austin. We've got, we're the crossroads in Austin of like burger joints. We've got In-N-Out, you know, because we're not, I guess, that far from California. We've got like Five Guys. Um, we've got Shake Shack, uh, Whataburger, which is, you know, kind of like the Texans' favorite fast food brand or fast food chain, which is fine, but I don't, I think it's kind of overrated. And then there is a Culver's here in Austin. I think there are three. Uh, so I, I had not been here. I, I didn't really grow up on Culver's. They, it, it wasn't really like a thing around where I lived. Um, so it's kind of became more of a thing after I left Wisconsin, but um, I actually uh, on Sunday during the Packer game, I had to run some errands and uh, I took my daughter and we, we drove to the Culver's and uh, we had, I had a burger and she had some little, chicken tenders and we had our little wisconsin fast food moment i was sitting in the back seat of my car uh with my daughter there chomping away on her little chicken and, and fries so yeah so got in some some good wisconsin food time there some good wisconsin fast food time uh with uh, with that are you have you i assume you you've had covers right i have yes i've had covers once or twice it's pretty good i don't um you know Particularly burger places, I don't get too, uh, I don't get too passionate about them all. I mean, I, I can have them all; like they're all, they're all fine. I, I just it's hard for me to distinguish one being that better than the other. You know, like I can go to In and Out, and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like that was enjoyable. Yeah. And I go to Shake Shack, I'm like, yeah, that was great as well. Culver's is obviously very good, um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's all very similar. It's all very similar. All very unhealthy. Yeah, pretty tasty. Yeah, I feel like people. Uh... Californians get way too, way too proud of and, and high and mighty about in and out. It's, it's good. Fun. It's fine. Yeah. It's good. It's yeah. good. But uh, yeah, I would prefer a Shake Shack or a Culver's Burger. That's probably, probably, uh, probably my, my preference there. We, we have a few good uh, local Austin 
burger uh, chains as well, which nobody well, listening to this ones. will ever have heard of. Yeah, I mean, the local ones are, are always the best. And I certainly understand why uh, people in Wisconsin love Culver's. I mean, because, you know, you're from there. You've got you to support, uh, support the locals. The one thing I will say is Rockies, with their refusal to comment back to you on social media, their refusal to sponsor the podcast, despite the fact that we just dedicate time to uh, their brand all the time, uh, the one thing I was a little bit concerned about is you were, you were speaking about buying the sauce, uh, the fact that they're rejecting you like that. I was thinking maybe now that you have the sauce, uh, you might open a, a spite store, a spite store in, in Texas, <laughs> Frankie's, Frankie's Pizza. What do you think? It's a, it's a good uh, 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 Curb Your Enthusiasm reference, uh, which uh, if people aren't aware of this, basically the Larry David opens a coffee, <laughs> a coffee shop right next to a coffee shop that uh, he gets into an argument with the owner about. And so he opens a spite store just to spite that owner. Uh, you know, I still have nothing but love for Rockies. Um, I don't man. hold it against, I don't hold it against Rockies that, you know, they, they hired some bad social media people who don't care about their most loyal um, patrons. Like, you know, Hey, that's, that's just bad business. But uh, I, um, I love the pizza too much, Kane. It's, uh, it's I'm, I'm not going to let that stand in my way. I'm just going to, just going to, you know, deal with the unrequited love that, that I give Rockies. At this point, it would be almost disappointing if Rockies acknowledged my existence. You know, it's just kind of our bit at this point. So, mm. um, so yeah, I will continue to document my, uh, my love of Rockies. And, um, you know, I, I, I got a text, uh, the other day from a friend who, uh, uh, oh no, you know, <laughs> I say a friend, Eric, <laughs> <laughs> Eric texted me a picture. Uh, I was trying to remember. I was like, "Wait, who, who texted me?" I was like, "Oh, it was Eric." Uh, yeah, he sent me a picture of a Rockies bag because he was uh, he was partaking. Um, so, hmm. shout out to Eric, who also uh, you know is uh, is was a party to me talking about Rockies on this podcast and uh, never never got any acknowledgement. So, um, see, so yeah, I came now. Now you're that guy. Well, I'm certain that he uh, doesn't listen to this podcast, but if he does, I'm also certain that he wouldn't have got this far into it to even hear that acknowledgement. No. So, no. Um, but shout out to him uh, all the same. Uh, hopefully, uh, he has a good weekend. But we're lucky that this is a Friday podcast, I think, Frank, because uh, I think it, it, it's been over an hour. I think this, is, yeah, this, has, way been, off the rails. Yeah. this has been a long one, but uh, it's been fun. We've still got plenty of questions. And I think the interesting thing about that is there's just so many... So many talking points and, uh, you know, we, we kind of wish that there wasn't. We wish that they were probably uh, heading into a more simple offseason than the one that they're in. But a uh, bunch more questions to come. You can keep sending them through. I know people after yesterday's episode sent a couple more through. So uh, we will get to them eventually. If you feel like there's some talking point that we desperately need to talk about, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at LockedOnBucks. Uh, until then, Frank. You have a great weekend. Everyone else have a great weekend. Um, send us through your favorite Rockies meals and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll discuss them all next week on the podcast. Stay safe. We'll speak to you guys then.